You are listening to Inside Healthcare, a podcast presented by NCQA. Hi, welcome to Inside Healthcare. I'm your host, NCQA's Communications Director, Matt Brock. Our show today celebrates three outstanding healthcare workers. These are not medical staff, they're not doctors or providers. They are instead the best at overseeing patient care, championing value-based care models and bringing health systems and facilities on board to NCQA's patient-centered medical home, also known as PCMH. NCQA's PCMH is the most widely adopted recognition program of its kind in the entire United States. More than 10,000 practices have been recognized through our PCMH program with more than 95 organizations in support of the program as well. As we've reported on this show, patient-oriented, value-based care would bring the most marginalized populations the health services they need and deserve. Of course, it's not that simple. We can encourage and convince entire health systems and providers to overhaul their operations, but in order to get them to put people first, we need other people to help push these providers over the goal line. Enter the CCE, the Certified Content Expert, the NCQA PCMH Content Expert Certification Program, certifies individuals who demonstrate comprehensive knowledge of NCQA's PCMH program. These pros know the how and the why of supporting NCQA's endeavors to improve quality through measurement. In this episode of Inside Healthcare, we meet the 2022 NCQA CCE Award winners. These three healthcare professionals represent the best of the best in helping bring hundreds, if not thousands, of patients to value-based healthcare. This year's winners are Kelsey Keith, Elizabeth Sledge, and Shannon Nielsen. The CCEs come from all different backgrounds, work for different structures within healthcare, bring different things to the table. But one thing is certain, they believe strongly in the need for change and improvement in healthcare, the need for PCMH. Kelsey Keith is the PCMH program manager for the Northeast Georgia Physicians Group, NGPG. Kelsey earned her CCE from NCQA in July of 2014. In her current role, she's managed all NCQA programs over the past 10 years. She's transformed healthcare by helping over 60 ambulatory clinics achieve PCMH status. She's guided 26 clinics to achieve NCQA's diabetes recognition program, and she's uh, overseeing seven urgent care clinics in maintaining our patient-centered connected care designation. Here's our talk with CCE winner, Kelsey Keith. Uh, first of all, tell us about how you got into this business. That's what I want to know. What, what drove you toward uh, healthcare? I actually began, before I even began my career, I was exposed to um, NCQA programs through my internship. And so um, I'm from North Carolina, and I had to complete an internship in my last semester of college. Um, the organization that I started my internship with, um, I was actually the first intern ever, um, and they were piloting um, medical home with three of their clinics. So it was going to be a brand new program for um, their healthcare system. And I helped pilot the first three. And then I was eventually 
um, promoted um, on full-time with them. I was offered a full-time position, and um, I kind of grew my career from there. So I started um, branching the medical home program across the whole organization. So we had the three pilot programs, um, and then we onboarded the rest of the um, facilities through different waves. Um, so I primarily managed that implementation, um, and then I managed, um, I grew our outreach programs. I um, started managing um, our patient advisory committees for the organization. Um, so patient experience came into play as well. Um, and then I liked what I was doing so much that I decided to get my um, CCE with NCQA. Um, and then after I got that, I was um, again promoted to only managing medical homes. What, what sparked this? I mean, you've been a PCMH head from the get-go, but it's not the uh, you know, a common career trek. Right. So I think since I got the exposure with the medical home program, um, with my internship, um, you know, I have come from a family and a community where um, I've seen the impact of um, socioeconomic status. I've seen the impact of um, social determinants of health. I've seen... Um, you know, in my family that, you know, them, whatever condition they may have, um, you know, them not knowing how to manage themselves at home. I've seen hospitalization after hospitalization. And um, for me, my career is bigger than um, just, you know, PCMH. It's um, truly how can I make a difference in the way that our physicians are communicating with our patients um, to make sure that they are getting what they need um, when they leave the clinic. So um, I think it, it's a ripple effect, honestly. Um, I think that, you know, I I can see the impact on my side because I, I have family that, um, you know, struggles with things. And um, in, in our model here at NGPG, um, with the, the programs that we're we're managing and implementing, they're making a difference in our patients' lives. I hear from our patients all the time. Um, you know, thank you for what you're doing. Um, you know, I I can't thank you enough for making a difference. And um, I, I truly feel like I'm getting connected to the services that I need. You know, behavioral health specialists, um, licensed clinical social workers, uh, ambulatory pharmacy. Um, there's so much that goes into um, medical home programs, and um, you know, I I just drive off of that and making a di difference in whatever way that I can. Now, also, you work, uh, you know, uh, as a CCE, but within an organization, which is different as well. Many don't hire full time one person to sort of be their sherpa. Um, mm -hmm. You are, are different in that. That says so. Tell us how many clinics, how many people are covered, what you've earned, what you intend to earn. Sure. So, um, with Northeast Georgia, we have four hospitals. Um, we have 105 clinics, 35 primary care clinics, 62 specialty clinics, eight urgent care centers. Um, two of those are occupational medicine centers. Um, we have a 54 bed inpatient psychiatry unit. Um, and then within the last two years, we also have GME programs for our residents. So we have family medicine and we have internal medicine residents. 
um, that are embedded into our clinics as well. So we are growing, um, and that's our structure here that we have. So we're big, and we, we keep adding more. I think I have two more primary care practices to work with um, that we have just brought on. So, How many of those things are recognized? Um, so urgent care is 100% recognized in patient-centered connect care. Um, our medical home is 95% recognized, um, so all of our primary care facilities are, um, with the exception of the two um, that are new that I'll be working with. Um, so we're getting it accomplished. Um, diabetes recognition, we have 83%. That is an amazing accomplish, uh, accomplishment. That many uh, um, clinics recognized all of that work. When you came, were they already on their journey or did you start them on your journey? I started them over. Um, they didn't have anybody to manage the program before they hired me. So they were um, familiar with it. They knew what it was. A lot of the sites previously had recognition, but we had to start completely over. Why, are you, why do you think your organization is so committed? Population health is new for us. We um, started our journey dipping our toes in population health and what that looks like to manage populations with medical home. And now we are branching into lots of other things. Um, our department has... Um, has grown. We have different contracts with different payers. Um, some of our payers do give us a per member per month incentive to have um, a medical home model in place. Um, we use all of our programs that we implement with other negotiations too. So basically it's a, hey, this is what, our do, what, what we're doing for our patients. We're practicing at the top of our license. You know, what can you do for us in return? So um, I think we're fully committed to um, the structure that the programs provide to us, um, the definitions that they provide to us, um, it gives us, you know, great framework for um, developing standard work, um, developing um, policies and procedures, guidelines. Um, so it truly does help us manage our sickest populations that we have. Um, and I think that we're just committed to um you know, bringing on more infrastructure to support population health because we know that outcomes are going to be so important um, for our patients. And eventually we're going to be paid more and more based on how healthy our patients are. And that's all about value based. That's a that's a different perspective uh, when we talk to folks. But, it, it, you know, we're all given to talking about um, the benefits to patients, and we should be. That's why it's called patient-centered medical health. Right. However, there are other benefits. And, and the one that I heard there um, is, is interesting because it gives leverage. It sounds like what you were saying is having that little ribbon, <laughs> so to speak, or that little uh, seal of approval from NCQA gives you as an organization, leverage to proving to uh, payers that you're doing the right thing. Absolutely. Um, you know, it gives us that national seal that, hey, you're following gold standard care. Um, we know that you have things in place to improve your patient outcomes, you know, so we don't have a problem negotiating X, Y, and Z for, for you. So. Mm -hmm. The a lot of systems have not done what you have done, which is included the clinics for patient centered connected care, the urgent cares. 
Why did you all do that? Why is that important? So it, I think it's so important. And I think that, um, especially in the lens of population health, where you want to improve your outcomes, you know, urgent care is there after hours. Um, urgent care is there for those patients that have to work all day, can't be seen by their provider. So there's going to be things that a patient is getting done at an urgent care facility that we absolutely 100% need to know about so that we can follow up on anything that needs to happen after the fact. Um, so our urgent care sites are um, a part of our organization. So we all implement work off the same EMR. Anything that happens in our urgent care settings, our providers are able to see the complete note, all the orders, anything that happened. So, you know, anytime we're seeing a patient that doesn't have a primary care provider, we want to hook them up with one. And we want to, you know, preferably hook them up with one in our network. Um, so we, we think it's important because you have that full circle. Um, you have that close-to-loop aspect, you know, from primary care to urgent care. We're all using the same systems. We're even going to the same hospital. Um, in our network. So I think that program was important to us because we wanted to make sure that we were closing the loop on all the care that a patient needs. What is your best advice for someone who's considering becoming a CCE? What would you say to them? I think a lot of times when um, you know people ask me, well, that sounds like something I could easily go do. It, it's not as easy as you think it would be if you don't understand that bigger picture and the why and, um, you know, really being able to get exposure, work in the clinics, um, you know, write the policies and procedures based off the standards and guidelines. I think that you have to have a passion for what you do or you're not going to be effective. Um, so I think, you know, those are the biggest things for me is, is the passion there do you understand the why? Do you understand the bigger picture? Um, and is this something that you can see yourself growing to do other things with? It's interesting to me because I think CCEs are often just that, change engineers, right? And and also cheerleaders in terms of making others more comfortable with change. You know, I always like to say that and, and I'm speaking like for myself, but I have been around a lot of other CCEs um, in, in the past. And so I think that we have a way of taking something that sounds extremely complicated and making it sound super simple. So we're able to break things down into small digestible pieces. Um, you know, I would never give a standard and guideline to a clinic and say, hey, go have fun. Um, you know, that's my job is to break it apart, understand it, and then be able to, you know, relate to them those pieces that they need to know that impact them. Um, so I think that we, we all, you know, have, you know, a great way of making something complex sound pretty simple. <laughs> and and, and for, as an outsider who has never gone through the PCMH process and, and uh, with a team, but it, it, it seems to me, um, that the hardest part is winning, winning that war, keeping it simple and, and slowly showing the folks the, the benefits for them. It takes a while for them to see them, but they do see them, right? Yes, they do. And I mean, I would say that at the end of the day, 
I don't think anybody in healthcare can disagree that whatever we're asking them to do is all for the betterment of their patients. So I think that we all share that commonality um, and we all come to the table with the patient in mind. Yes, you may not be able to get behind some of the things and understand some of the things, but I think, you know, I've never had anybody challenge me on that piece and just that, that we're doing the best that we can for, for our patients. CCE winner, Kelsey Keith, thank you so much for joining us. Elizabeth Sledge has served as a quality consultant since 2016 at OSIS, a Cincinnati-based health center controlled network, HCCN, a licensed practical nurse. She is a next-gen EHR certified professional and has been a PCMH CCE since 2016. She joined the OSIS team with over 17 years of clinical and administrative experience in multiple arenas from community health and family practice to internal medicine, internal medicine that is, and immunology. In her role as a consultant, Elizabeth has supported health centers across the country in achieving and sustaining PCMH recognition, as well as their distinction in behavioral health through operational change management and standardized workflow optimization. Here's our talk with CCA winner, Elizabeth Sledge. So Elizabeth, why did you pursue becoming a CCE? What benefits have you experienced since becoming a CCE? Definitely a transformational journey of my own, I must say. I had been on the practice operation side of PCMH uh, long before coming to OSIS. Um, I recall um, being a PCMH champion at a large internal medicine and pediatrics practice that was part of a larger multi-specialty practice in 2011-2012. Really when this model of care I think started to grow roots and, and take footing in the primary care world. And I think it sort of aligned itself with um, the meaningful use in any HR topic around that time as well with the High Tech Act of um, 2009. And at that time, I worked on the patient care needs, like as a, as a nurse on that side of the house. And I recall what a shift it was to just kind of take a, a mindset that was really um, starting to set in place that model that not only looked at the patient at the center of support and decision making, but also mapped out how to align um, staff in a team-based structure to be more efficient with breaking down silos within those organizations and really moving away from that one-to-one -one, um, ratio of clinical support to providers and I remember I also worked with, um, I worked, after leaving there and kind of being in the forefront within that organization, I worked for a period of time with the Department of Veterans Affairs as well um, before coming to OSIS and really observed like that patient aligned model of care. So just not des designed or defined as like PCMH, but really the patient aligned care team or the PACT model. And it really, it was just sort of, sort of groundbreaking. And it, the government had been practicing medicine that, for, that way for some time. And, and really, in my current role, when I came to OSIS, it's sort of been a culmination of all of these experiences where I, I get to take that and apply my, my knowledge and my support in a larger footprint, if you will. So anyways, obtaining my CCE really just has solidified me as a content expert. I know that I have the experience or had the experience kind of, again, more from the operations side of things. And this role has really allowed me to prepare these organizations that I work with to share what I've seen 
what we've tried, what's worked, what's not worked, and really having that backing from uh, maintaining that CCE credential, I think just sort of acknowledges that level of expertise and experience and puts that vote of confidence in any of those practices that I support that are part of our HCCN with OSIS. Tell us about your work as a quality consultant. What is OSIS and what are your responsibilities there? OSIS, it stands for, previously it was Ohio Shared Information Services, which is a 501c3 that was founded as sort of um, uh, an organization to assist health centers with kind of uh, group purchasing for healthcare technology products. We've sort of evolved from that point and expanded our footprint across um, the nation and, and looking at more aspects than just the technology piece, but truly focusing on um, the next-gen documentation pieces. So really my role as, you know, working for this HCCN or the Health Center Controlled Network is we support over 62 community health centers um, and lookalikes, as I mentioned, across the country. And my role as a consultant is to work directly with those health centers to support quality reporting and improvement, which, we you know, that can be a broad category that can encompass um, workflows for interoperability metrics, uh, UDS reporting and submission, uh, consulting on meeting measures, um, approving scores through standardized workflows and reporting tools, as well as data review and validation as part of that effort. And, and really kind of taking those pieces, another key part of my role is engaging with practices for PCMH. Um, this could include transformation or guidance on supporting sustaining phase on an annual basis, uh, or again, if they're coming on like as an initial recognition. And I work with a team of three other consultants, and between us, we cover the geographic literally from Alaska, Hawaii, all the way to the state of Maine, and really kind of looking at the, the bigger picture topics and trying to crosswalk those metrics that may be part of that community health center compliance and reporting and really sort of track that to the PCMH perspective as well. So OSIS focuses exclusively on helping out community health centers. Tell us about what defines a community health center as opposed to a hospital. Do you see community health centers being able to focus more easily on individual patients as opposed to a larger facility or, or is it just all the same? The community health center world is truly based in the patient's community. You understand the population and the demographic that you serve, which allows you to be able to hit some of those points that may be, you know, disparities in care, understanding economic and social factors that may impact certain neighborhoods from an equity standpoint. In addition to that, you look at you've got access to behavioral health, dental, um, women's care, family planning, diagnostic testing and laboratory services, preventative care, and it really just, it truly supports that patient-centered, um, you know, a, that aligned patient-centered model of care to handle things from that team-based uh, perspective. You know, I, one of the examples that I use probably, you know, most frequently because it's, it's a very relative um, example, like in, in primary care, maybe you've got that patient who is, you know, experiencing something situational in life that's contributing to an extreme amount of stress, you know, anxiety, depression, which is, you know, complicating their current condition. And maybe that was discovered as part of a routine screening within their primary care office. But if you truly are looking at having integrated behavioral health, it may be that there's a, a counselor that's not just, you know, part of that team. They're co-located, but they're integrated within that primary care team. And it really allows that capacity. You understand who that patient is. You understand what may be impacting them, again, from a, from a social perspective as part of um, that condition. And you can go through that process to have a, a true warm handoff. We hear about that so many times in the hospital setting, but I feel like the community health center is just 
so much more well positioned to be able to take the whole person care approach and integrate those team members that um, you know can intervene at the point of care, whether it's you know it's counseling or if we need to have a, you know a conversation with the patient, if we're going to have watchful waiting and we're going to monitor that patient, do they need more intensive services that need to be referred out? So I I think it makes community health centers better position for the PCMH model of care, in my opinion. With your focus on behavioral health, in what ways are PCMH recognition, pursuit of recognition different when it comes to clinics focusing on behavioral health? Well, I think there's, there are a lot of aspects of behavioral health that are integrated within the PCMH model of care and recognition standards themselves, if you just look at that recognition program. But I think there's, with the behavioral health distinction, it's kind of like that additional icing on the cake or that add-on, if you will, to the, the standards themselves from a PCMH standpoint. So I think it provides, you know, NCQA provides that framework that can be easily aligned to the part of that PCMH recognition. So if it's something that health centers are really looking at from the outset, it really provides them the opportunity to recognize that commitment and um, providing true clinical evidence-based and integrated behavioral health in concert with their, their PCMH um, recognition or within their primary care process. I think if organizations, again, they have that in mind, it kind of gives them that opportunity to map out what are some of the pieces that we would need to look at from a structural standpoint, from a workflow standpoint, policy and procedure, and, and personally, I have to say, in the community health arena, one thing that I think that would be excellent is I would love to see some emphasis placed on that topic uh, from this behavioral distinction per, um, perspective, really from HRSA. I think health centers are so well positioned in most cases to be able to support that model, and that BH distinction it kind of coupled on uh, onto the PCMH recognition, it really provides that opportunity to shine and provide some of those um, evidence-based clinical uh, best practices that could be shared as models of uh, part of the models of care or even best practice recommendations. And personally, I would love to see HRSA have some acknowledgement or recognition of that as they do with some of their other programs from a quality um, reporting standpoint aligned under like their UDS submission. So it does, it does uh, better suit them. I think it just provides some additional um, opportunity from, from a reporting and outcome standpoint. There may be some additional logistics that kind of have to go in hand with that, but I think it provides an opportunity to shine, and I would love to see more, um, more payer programs uh, recognize that as well as potentially HRSA as well. What are some of the challenges you faced when helping community health centers achieve recognition? I mean, truthfully, it's... Really, for, when it comes from like a from a PCMH perspective, I think some of the challenges really go into looking at it from not just an initial gap um, gap analysis and planning standpoint, but a, a long term. Um, for longevity and sustainability of the process. And I think this is probably especially the case now as we've kind of been in the midst of um, the pandemic. I, I, we all have operation and staffing attrition. That is probably one of the biggest factors. It takes more time and resources to address when we have staffing attrition. We lose that knowledge and understanding of the base principles. While we know that we, in the bigger picture, yes, we're providing that care, but just to have that uh, losing historical knowledge and having to retrain to bring back up to that speed, I think sometimes is um, certainly it's a barrier. You have to look to, to recruit, you have to hire, you have to orient. And we have a lot that's asked of our staff, you know, clinical staff and, and supporting patient care needs. So I just, 
it's not just about um, the resources for achieving, but again, sort of sustaining that recognition. And I think that can also prove challenging from a management and a leadership standpoint, multiple competing priorities, and just in general, navigating the new landscape of um, healthcare. I think sometimes the finite pieces can get lost in the midst of when we see that when we see that staffing attrition and maybe we're we've kind of lost the the base principle of that or we're having to go back through the process to reorient and in most cases from the the practices that we support they're doing things with the right intention in mind they're providing patient center care with the right intention in mind but it's that process that demonstrates that in a, in a sense of carrying forward so bottom line how do you sum up the role of the CCE. We want to teach to fish. So we don't want to, we don't want to do for you. We want to coach you toward the, the foundation and the principles. And we want to be able to make sure that, you know, you're aligning your team in that fashion. And there's a plan, there's a contingency, there's a succession plan. And, and you have more than, more than one individual at the seat, you know, holding the reins of the, the program. It takes, a, it takes a village, the same as raising a child. It takes a village and you really have to practice. Practice what you preach. Like it's, it's all about the team-based approach and, and having that buy-in and support from a leadership standpoint and keeping that patient at the focus. That was CCE Award winner Elizabeth Sledge. Thank you very much for joining us. We now hear from PCMH certified content expert Shannon Nielsen. Shannon is what we call a C-suite health administrator. That means that over the past 18 years of working with health centers and hospitals, she's been a CIO, a COO, and even a CQO. That's chief quality officer. And of course, we love to talk about quality here at NCQA. Shannon has had more than 18 years experience working with health centers, hospitals, primary care centers, and healthcare networks, helping them all to improve performance. She has completed more than 200 NCQA PCMH transformations, overseen performance assessments on more than 150 community health centers, and assisted networks in developing clinically integrated networks. Here's our conversation with CCE award winner, Shannon Nielsen. Shannon is author of the National Association of Community Health Centers Population Health Management Guidebook. She is currently co-owner of Curis Consulting. Let's talk about what got you here. How did you first find out about the, the PCMH pr- approach to care, NCQA, and, and our programs? What landed you as a CCE? So it was... Um really not that glamorous of a story. I wish it was super glamorous, but it's not. Um, I actually worked at a community health center for 11 years and I was the director of decision support. And it was at a time when EMRs were just being implemented, getting our hands on some data was becoming more and more available. Um, And my role was really to do meaningful use, to to help with the implementation of the EMR and to create data-driven marketing and operational plans for the organization. But what's interesting about that is I was able to collect all this data, came up with some really good plans, but the use of data in community health centers at the time really just wasn't there. It wasn't all that sexy. So um, I was getting bored, to be all honest with you. And I said, I think I've maybe outgrown my current role. And the chief medical officer at that organization actually came to me his name's Dr. Blair Chick, one of the greatest chief medical officers ever, um, and came to me and said, you know, maybe you could ask to get involved with this patient-centered medical home recognition that's kind of taking over and becoming more and more widespread. So I'm always looking for a new challenge. 
Um, and so I took it on and uh, I attended, immediately attended one of the NCQA uh, three-day trainings and came back and within a year had 17 sites that this organization recognized. Um, and after that, I was asked to help out with a lot of other um, health centers. I went on to consult for an ACO that needed all their primary care offices to be PCMH recognized. So it just, it wasn't all that exciting of a story in terms of how I got it into it. I got into it because I was bored, but it ended up being the foundation for all of the work that I do now. And it's really proven to be, um, I think what's taken my career in the direction that it's gone. Clearly, uh, I mean, you've won a CCE award, recognition by NCQA for your work. Um, Certainly you have to love what you do to succeed the way you do. What is it about it that you love? Um. I think I love helping people understand a sense of purpose for what they do. So I think most of my clients will tell you the first question I ask them is why, why do you want to be a patient centered medical home? Why do you want to build an access program? Why do you want to implement this health information technology, whatever work we're doing? I always ask why, because um, we have to have, we have to set expectations and we have to set people down a path where they start to actualize a sense of purpose. Um, And as a consultant and working with people who are in very different um, scenarios, you know, they have different technologies, different staffing resources, different communities, different populations, different staffing models, et cetera. Um, In order to help people best achieve quality in their organization, you have to understand what they want to accomplish and what the resources are that are going to allow them to be able to do it. And not everybody's story is the same. As you can tell by the way that I got started, I get bored easily. So um, (laughs) I have to be challenged. And I think what I get to do is help people create their why and their path to their why. And um, I think that's pretty awesome. And And as the PCMH uh, recognition process has evolved over the um, several several years now. What has happened is it's given practices the ability to define why they want to be a patient-centered medical home and what it means to be a patient-centered medical home versus being so prescriptive. And that's what I love about it is instead of just saying that we provide continuous access, it's why do you want to do it? What does that mean? What are your goals? How do we do that in a way that's meaningful for you? Um, versus just a checklist or targeted set of tasks. The segue is, you know, what has changed over these years? We've updated in uh, 2017, I think was the last one, 2014 before that, 2011, not every three years. So some things have changed. What has changed for you along that line that you like and perhaps don't like? Yeah, so um, I often describe it So I often describe the evolution of the NCQA PCMH program as like a life cycle, a human life cycle. So I think back when it first started or when it started to gain some momentum in the late 90s, early 2000s, at least in the health center space, um, it was in more of the infancy stage, which is very prescriptive, right? Like how many steps can your child take? How many meals a day do they eat? How many dirty diapers do they have? It was very, do you have this? process in place. And it was more of a, can you say you do these things? It evolved, I think, under the 2014 standards into more of the adolescent, young adult selfie 
stage, which was, um, you know, look what I can do. I can do these things and I can show you how I do them. And I, um, I can say, I do them and I can say them. I do, I do them pretty consistently and it's evolved now under the 2017 standards, I think more to adulthood where you create a sense of purpose and you are able to demonstrate the, why you do things, the, how you do things and the efficiency or the effectiveness behind it. So kind of that I chose my career because this is the value I can provide. I had my kids and look at how they're turning out. I, um, so it's really becomes measurable um, and it becomes purposeful um, because it's not so much about do you do something or make sure you do it a certain way. It's about how do you do it? My hope is the next evolution of patient-centered medical home is really about the output that's delivered and the value that you've actually created for different stakeholders. And I think um, that's a lot of the work I'm doing right now with a lot of practices is a lot of my clients have been patient-centered medical home recognized for a decade or plus at this point in time. And the question that's being asked now is, what did it do for me? Or how do I make sure that it's doing something for me? Because I'm putting these resources into it, or I know we'll talk about value-based care in a little bit, but um, what is the return on investment of being a patient-centered medical home? Because fewer people are paying for it. Um, and in order what, for example, what HRSA has said is you no longer get QI dollars for just being a patient centered medical home. Right. Um, and HRSA is the, um, uh, human resources Services administration. Right. Yep. Right. So, and what they, you know, they were saying the health centers become a patient centered medical home and you get money. And now what they've said is you don't just get money for being a patient centered medical home, but by being a patient centered medical home, we we will help you create more value through funding other things within your organization. So it's more of an entry-level criteria because the point of being a patient-centered medical home is to deliver value. So I'd love for NCQA and for HRSA and for others to say, what value did you create? So um, it's about this interrelatedness between all the concepts within the patient-centered medical home that I hope becomes kind of the sustainable older generation of patient-centered medical home and kind of moves it to that elderly stage where you get all the wisdom from it. Uh, with all these changes, mm-hmm. what do you think has uh, has proven now to be the biggest challenge? I think back in the day that you talk about early on, it was checking the boxes in many ways. Mm-hmm. Um, now things have evolved. So what what is the biggest challenge now? Um, I think the biggest challenge continues to be health centers making the PCMH framework a part of their day-to-day life instead of a recognition or an application or a certificate that they received. So for example, um, everyone does referral tracking, right? So that's for community health centers, that's a compliance issue outside of NCQA. Um, for hospitals, et cetera, that are PCMH, that have practices that are PCMH recognized, everyone does referral tracking. But when you look at it, are you really doing it consistently and are you really doing it reliably? And I think that becomes the challenge because I think most practices that I step foot into and most that I think we're really honest would tell you they're maybe at 50% of referrals get closed or 
They don't have the resources to be able to do the work on a day-to-day basis. So I think the hardest part right now is making it a part of your core foundation versus a project that your organization undertook and now has to continue to undertake every single year at a certain point when it becomes when you become recognized. So this is what I meant by kind of creating that sense of why. Um, So what I encourage a lot of practices to do is to say, look at everything that you do for patient-centered medical home and look at all the requirements that NCQA has put in front of you and do a self-assessment and not just around what are you compliant with, but what was the purpose? How are you doing meeting that purpose or that return that you expected from your organization? And what are you going to do differently to actually get there? Talk for us a little bit about value-based care. You mm-hmm. previewed it already. Um, and you said that it is, you know, required and a required approach at health centers. Um, talk to us about what that means for folks who don't know what value-based care means mm-hmm. and, uh, and tell us how it plays into PCMH and especially health centers. I do know HRSA is really... Um, you know, jumping in with both feet to uh, value-based care. Yeah, so, um, and just to clarify, HRSA, um, while they're making a big push towards value-based care models and encouraging health centers to participate in them, there's not a requirement for that. Oh, okay. Um, HRSA is requiring going forward that to be eligible for funding, you would have to be a patient-centered medical home. So that's kind of the separation between the two. You're just not getting money for doing it though. It's just going to be a set expectation of you at this point in time. So, um, you know, value-based care is about creating some sort of impact. And that impact has to be on quality outcomes, on cost of care, or on experience, either from a provider care team or a patient perspective. Um, I often define, this is how I set the definitions. Quality is about measuring and about improving and about performance. Value is about creating an impact, a demonstrable qualitative or quantitative impact on quality. So that means that you've actually created some sort of return for somebody or for something. Um, and value-based care is a model of delivery that then says you get rewarded for impacting quality outcomes, impacting cost of care, or impacting experience. Patient-centered medical home is a set of strategies that should, when practiced meaningfully, help us deliver upon value for a patient, a provider, a payer, a funder, or your organization. So in my mind, patient-centered medical home is a starting point if practiced meaningfully to help us be successful in a value-based care environment. The difficulty we have with creating value-based care environments right now or actually practicing in them is that the reimbursement model doesn't always align with value-based care delivery. It'd be fantastic If we all said, we want to build a full-blown care management team, we want, we're going to invest in all these nurses to do care management. We're going to hire access program coordinators. Um, We're going to purchase health information technology that allows us to be more interoperable, et cetera. 
be great if we could do all that if we got some sort of reimbursement for that and we don't, right? That's a lot of front end expense that primary care practices have to take on when they're not getting reimbursed for that. So that's where it's becoming difficult to bridge the conversation between what would help us be really good as being a patient-centered medical home and how we can do that in a value-based reimbursement or a value-based care delivery model when we're not getting reimbursed that way. So we have to bridge that gap. And I think health centers and other practices are really struggling with, I know I want to build care management, but that's expensive. And we're resource limited post pandemic. There's all sorts of new complications, right? (laughs) Um, Mm -hmm. um, I may want to buy a new EMR, but I don't know what EMRs are going to be around in two years. And I don't have the money to do that. So I think we're struggling with that conversation of PCMH should allow us to do this, but we need external forces to also allow us to actually do PCMH in the most meaningful way possible and create some value out of it. CCE award winner, Shannon Nielsen, thank you so much for joining. And now it's time for Matt's facts. Just a few health related facts to take with you, share with your friends and help spread the word about this podcast inside healthcare. The month of April is Facial Protection Month. That's right, wear a mask. In the US, it's also the month when ball fields warm up and dry out. So before your kids or someone you love goes barreling onto the field for baseball, softball, hockey, lacrosse, you know. The American Association of Oral and Maxillofacial Surgeons, the AAOMS, that's face, mouth, and jaw surgeons to you and me, has some quick stats and helpful hints for you to consider. Children ages 7 to 11 are most vulnerable for sports-related mouth injuries. On average, every year, Americans spend more than $500 million fixing and replacing teeth. And you've probably guessed that the most commonly injured tooth is the maxillary central incisor, basically your two front teeth. Of all those dental injuries, up to a third of them are sports related, with as many as 18% of them involving getting hit in the face. Now, if a tooth related injury occurs, don't panic. First thing, if all or part of the tooth is missing, go find it. You can soak a piece of broken tooth in water or in milk, then make it to a dentist within 24 hours, and they may be able to reattach it. If the tooth is knocked out, don't give up. Find that tooth, keep it wet, race to the dentist. If you can make it within five to 10 minutes, they may be able to replan it, maybe. For more tips, you can visit the AAOMS at myoms, that's M-Y-O-M-S dot org, or the American Dental Association at mouthhealth.org. And get that kid a mouth guard if you can something else to tell you about. Registration is open now for Quality Talks 2022, and we're excited, a lot of work in these last few weeks to get it ready. Our one-day event slated for April 21st. We hope you'll be there. Join us either live at the Hamilton Hotel in DC or virtually. Seating is limited, so you wanna register soon before all the seats run out to buy tickets or to watch online. Just uh, go register at qualitytalks.org. At NCQA, our education team works around the clock to bring you training towards certification or distinction, professional development, and the latest in healthcare tech and trade. That's why you should register now for the Quality Innovation Series featuring more than 20 webinars with health experts from in and outside NCQA. 
Stay tuned this summer for our annual Digital Quality Summit. This virtual mid-July summit features speakers and breakout sessions discussing every angle of measurement, data exchange, and what to do with the evidence once we've got it. And we have a brand new event this year, NCQA's Health Innovation Summit, a live event running October 31st, happy Halloween, through November 3rd of this year, that is. More on that at ncqa.org. Just look up Health Innovation Summit. We now invite you once again to reach out to us at Inside Healthcare. Here's a question to consider. How does a value-based payment model help close historic gaps in health equity care? After all you've heard today, I'm sure you have an answer, so drop us a line, email us with all your questions and comments at communications at ncqa.org. That wraps it up for another episode of NCQA's Inside Healthcare podcast. Please tell everyone you know all you work with about our show. There's always something new to learn, some new way to grow, and go back and listen to episodes you've missed. We've got plenty for you to listen to, believe me. On behalf of our producer, Dave Smolar, and all of us here at Inside Healthcare. Thanks for joining us. I'm NCQA Director of Communications, Matt Brock. We'll see you again, no doubt. You've been listening to Inside Healthcare, a podcast brought to you by NCQA, the National Committee for Quality Assurance. Inside Healthcare is available on your computer or mobile device through Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, and on our blog at blog.ncqa.org forward slash podcast.